Hello and welcome to the filmpulse.net podcast. This is episode number 77. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay as well. Uh, we have a great show lined up. First we'll be speaking with director Chad Crawford Kinkle on his new film Jug Face, which is hitting theaters August 9th and currently playing on video on demand. Then we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching before getting Film Pulse contributor Ernie Trinidad back on the show to review The Wolverine. And then finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's speak with director Chad Crawford Kinkle on his new film Jug Face, which is currently playing on VOD and hitting theaters August 9th. Uh, Chad, thanks so much for taking some time to speak with us. Uh, we're talking about Jug Face, and it's such an interesting movie. I was thinking that maybe we could start by you just telling us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a story about this uh, backwoods cult uh, that worships a force that's in this pit in the ground, and they basically have to give it a sacrifice when it wants, and, and in, in turn, it, the waters of the pit uh, heal the community. And so the story kind of follows this teenage girl who discovers that she's going to be sacrificed next and uh, she doesn't want to die because uh, she's pregnant. And uh, so that's basically the, the gist of it. How did you come up with an idea like this? Because, again, it's a very original concept. I uh, It's all kind of based around the pottery that you see in the movie that's actually called a face jug. And uh, mm-hmm. I went to a pottery museum in North Georgia, and that's where I first saw a, a face jug for the first time, and I thought they were very creepy, and I thought that, um, you know, first I just, I really wanted to own one because they were so disturbing, but as, as I walked around the exhibit, I saw this video of this uh, potter, and he was talking about the process of making a face jug, and it, it just, like, struck me that he was talking about some sort of uh, backwoods black magic or something. And just as I was watching it, watching it, I just envisioned this uh, potter who was possessed, and he was making a face jug with a girl's face on it from the community that he lived in, and that he was getting clay from this hole that was in the you know in the woods that was speaking to him, the time you know which face to make. And basically, I just took that inspiration and uh, just made the story from there. And this is your first feature-length film that you've directed, right? That's correct. Yeah. And did you have any kind of, like, challenges to face after doing, like, short films? Well, I mean, a feature is just kind of its own beast. And until you, you've done it, you can't totally prepare for, for everything. Because <laughs> on, on a short, you know, I'd made shorts in school, and both of my undergrad, my master's, and then I didn't make a short for eight years. I was just writing. And I finally made a short once I'd written the, the script for Judd Face because I knew I needed to show something, you know, that I directed recently to be able to direct Judd Face. And uh, so I made a short then. But, you know, even that, that and that was with a professional crew, you know, and it, it was only a two-day shoot, you know. So going through mm-hmm. the grind of and it, and actually Judd Face shoot was only 17 days. So that made it really intense. It was outside in the summer in Tennessee. So it just, you know, it's just a whole nother beast that you have to deal with. And, uh, you know, like I say now that once I've done it, that I can write a book about directing now, <laughs> just based <laughs> on that, I mean, making this one feature. One of the things that I liked a lot about the film was that I didn't, I didn't feel like it insulted the viewer's intelligence. Like there, there was no like 
long exposition before the movie began that that described how this community worked and anything like that um it just kind of unfolds and you learn about how the pit works uh as the film progresses was this something that you were kind of taking into consideration well you know i just tried to make a movie that i i want to watch and i get really irritated when you know information is kind of spoon fed to the audience you know i will i want to be activated in my own mind about it about what's going on and i want to be trying to figure out what's going on as the movie plays out instead of just having it kind of told to me so you know that's just generally how I, how i write yeah that was one of the things that i thought was was really interesting and then also this is kind of a it's a different kind of horror movie uh, in addition to being like an original concept, there's more of a focus on the tone and the atmosphere than just like jump scares and gore. Was this also something that you were setting out to do when creating the film? Uh, I mean, I guess in general, doing jump scares is part of the genre, and that's kind of what people expect. And a lot of times that's exactly what they're looking for. But for me, like, you know, what I get excited about is when I watch a movie where, like, yeah, the environment is very, is, is its own character, and that's where a lot of the horror comes from. Or there's just, like, there's these other emotions that you can build, like dread and things like that. And and for me, since I've, I've seen just, you know, like a billion horror movies now, at that I want to do something just a little bit different. So, you know... I still want the jump scares, but I just end up focusing on on other things. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the the cast a little bit. Um, In addition to a lot of uh, kind of fresh talent, I would say, you got Sean Young in here. And I I just have to ask how that that was, how that worked out. Well, uh, see, my producer had worked with her before on on a film, and I think he offered her the role in another movie called um, The Girl Next Door. And she turned it down. And I think once that happened, she kind of said to herself that she would do his, his next offer, whatever that would be. And so when we were talking about, you know, people to play the different roles, he's like, well, what about Sean Young for, for this role? And I was just kind of like, are, are, are you serious? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, I think she did an awesome job. And I was thinking to myself, like, I mean, yeah, I think, I think she would too. But I didn't know, think that she would actually do the movie. And he was like, let's just offer it to her. And I, and I think when she read it the first time, I think she called him up and just said, what is this? Like, what is this movie? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I don't even know exactly why she ended up doing it, but she kind of, you know, felt that it was good enough or I had no idea. Really. <laughs> but she did decide to do it. And, uh, she did a really amazing performance. So I'm very glad that, uh, that, that happened. Yeah, I think everybody did uh, a great job. I, I particularly liked uh, a Sean Bridger's mm-hmm. role. I thought that he was phenomenal in this movie. Yeah, Sean Bridger's horses on Deadwood. And then Larry Fesden has been in a number of indie horror movies. And he's kind of like, people consider him kind of this patron saint of uh, indie horror movies. He, oh, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, he not only writes and directs, but he also acts in a bunch of them, and uh, he's, he's a super guy. And then uh, the lead, uh, Lauren Ashley Carter, this is her first uh, uh, lead role in a feature. She's, she's been in actually a couple of other movies that uh, my producer had done. And, uh, but this did, he do, uh, did he do The Woman? Yeah, he did. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering because I noticed that several of the, the characters 
from this film were in that film, and I was wondering if there was a correlation there. Yeah, it was just that they were they had a working relationship. So you know, I and it, actually he didn't even bring up that because well, Lauren is actually in the woman. She plays mm-hmm. this young girl, and uh, I I ended up just on my after we talked about a couple of different other act, actresses. Uh, I ended up saying, well, what about her? I think you know she could probably do a really great job, and I became really obsessed with just her face and her big eyes. And I I thought that mm-hmm. they would translate really well onto the face jug and you know for the movie. Yeah, I think that that she was perfect for for the lead in this. Um, I want to talk a little bit about just the the subject matter of the film and I don't want to get into any kind of like uh, a spoiler territory but ha- have you heard any kind of uh, reactions on the film just due to the subject matter because it gets into some pretty heavy stuff what's I, I guess it's kind of weird because they they don't really a lot of people watch it and don't really tap into the themes or or even mention the really horrific elements. I mean, they may they may, there's one scene in particular that people talk about. There's like a bathroom scene mm-hmm. that, that yeah. <laughs> they'll mention that one. But you know, it's so it's kind of it's kind of funny what people talk about when they when they watch the movie. I, th- I think people's first reaction is to pick out the thing that they lo- they dislike the most, maybe. And they'll comment mm-hmm. on that, but uh, as far as like certain events and stuff, they they tend to you know they tend to not mention that stuff, which is which is kind of kind of odd to me. So like the the film is is pretty grounded in a sort of reality. It doesn't get into any kind of really crazy visuals, although you do have one in particular with the I guess it's like an apparition, and I was wondering how you decided to make him look the way he does where he has kind of that that smoke around mm-hmm. him well i once we, had sh- we once we shot it and we got into the editing room uh, that character he's like, he's like a ghost character and he barely had any sort of uh presence you know in the movie visually and uh, just because of the way we shot him and you know those decisions so we basically needed to add something to him to, just to make give him more of a look. And, uh, you know, it, we are working on a very, very small budget, so, you know, that's basically the editor's work, you know, and, and making it look better. So that's kind of how we, we came up with that. And uh, how, did you, how did you shoot the film? What did you use? Um, it's, it's a camera called the uh, Aerie Alexa. It's a, digi- okay. it's a digital camera, but, you know, literally I think the best or a digital camera that's on the market today. And, yeah, and yeah. It, yeah, and it was really, really, really you know, great decision to use that camera because we could adjust things and, and post that you know, a lot of times you can't. Yeah, I asked because I, I really like the the look of it. it. It had the kind of, the look of it really fit with the type of movie that it was. It almost had... Um, like a winter's bone feel to it where you, it really felt like you were in this kind of like creepy backwoods community. Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot. Well, yeah, we wanted to go for kind of a naturalistic look to it. And, uh, and that camera basically allows you to use natural light or just, you know, a little, little light sources as possible and to come up with that, that type of look. So probably went yeah. with it. Final question. Any, any thoughts on possibly a sequel to this? Um, you know, not at the moment. Uh, I think they're always tossing around ideas. You know, it, it would be slightly difficult considering how the movie ends up, but, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely a possibility. 
because the the first thing I thought was, well, the pits the pits still there, and this community still sort of thriving. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I would like to see more of this world. I thought it was so odd and interesting that I think that a, a sequel would, would be great. Just make sure it doesn't get out of your hands. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's do some quick plugging. So the film is currently playing on demand right now. Is that correct? That's correct. It's it's playing on iTunes, Amazon, Xbox, and PlayStation. And then uh, August 9th, it will be in 15 cities. It'll have like a one-night uh, special event screening. And then about that time is when it will hit uh, most of the major cable companies on VOD. And then, cool. yeah, and then in October, October 15th, it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Chad, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to speak with us. And thank you so much. Thanks again, Chad. Again, the film is Jug Face. You can check it out on Video On Demand. However, if you get a chance, check it out in theaters August 9th. Let's go ahead and jump into some of what we've been watching. Kevin, I think we'll start with you this week. First film that I saw this week was The Passenger is from uh, 1975. It's an Antonioni film starring Jack Nicholson and Maria Schneider. It's essentially like certified copy, but with gun running. If you've ever seen certified certified copy, the Kurosami film, uh, essentially they tackle like identity because Jack Nicholson's character steals a man's identity. And as you can guess, it's Antonioni, so it's unbelievably beautiful. Every frame is amazing, and the camera work is just un- unbelievable, which is pretty much how every Antonioni film goes. But this one has a little bit more of a story than most of his films, but it does have an unbelievable single shot at the end of the film, which seriously lasts like 10 minutes, and it's just unbelievable. just starts off rather slowly, focusing through like bars of like a, a doorway and then it just mm-hmm. slowly goes at, goes out and then it goes through the bars I don't know how the fuck they did that and then it spins back around to the hotel and all the action that's happening on the inside of the hotel is followed from the outside you know how we love in all the other films mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. most notably uh, Killing Them Softly yeah yeah, it's done here and it's amazing because it's set inside of a 10 minute single shot so imagine that it's just insane, and it, that's how it that's how it ends it. So he definitely goes out on top here, and there's a there's a bunch of other stuff, but it's really hard to get past that sequence because it's just so amazing. Hmm. But there is another uh, really cool shot where Nicholson's sitting at a table and he's deciding whether or not to you know steal this man's identity. He has both of the passports sitting there, and he's listening to a tape recording of. Him and this man having a conversation the night before, and then as it's as that's happening, the camera sort of pans out, looking out the window, and then both of those characters show up, and it follows their discussion that they were having the night before, and then it like comes back to the present time. Just the way that he did it was outstanding. It's unbelievable. So I I highly recommend the passenger. Hmm, have to check that out. Definitely. And then I watch me some Django. The original Django. You're damn right. And uh, can I just say, that is probably one of the greatest openings. Perf- oh, yeah. Perfectly executed. I mean, just to him trudging along, dragging that coffin with the greatest theme song ever, just mm-hmm. blaring away. 
just him trudging through the mud. All you see is his back in the coffin. And, I mean, he's builds up so much mystery. And, of course, Django opens his mouth more and more as the film progresses. And it just lost its luster. I mean, mm. pretty much after he opens up the coffin and you see what's inside, they should have just ended it there. Because everything after that was just pretty disappointing. Especially when General Hugo and his men show up. Because, I mean, he sort of switches and just turns into a dick. Yeah. It's just it sort of turned I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. I wasn't, like, blown away by it or anything. I was in the... Uh, yeah. I mean, I was totally into it at first. I was like, yes, this is awesome. But like I said, when General Hugo shows up, you're just... Just everything just sort of falls apart. But it's actually had some really nice cinematography. I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if he, if it was intentional or if he just didn't know what the hell he was doing. But there's a lot of like uh, a lot of the out of focus shots and the soft focus focus that he uses looked really nice and the framing too. But I don't know if like I said if it was intentional or if it just he got lucky. But I would definitely suggest Django. One film that I do not suggest is The Way Way Back. I saw this I yesterday. This. I saw this yesterday. The uh, directorial debut of Mr. Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, the writers behind the unbelievably overrated The Descendants. Because <clears throat> honestly, The Descendants, if it didn't take place in Hawaii, no one would give a fuck about that movie. Yeah, but... So here you have The Way Way Back, and it's a decent effort. I'm being very generous with the decent part of that statement. But, man, they really need help with pacing. It is atrocious in this film. Number one, it's two hours, and it doesn't need to be. There's absolutely no reason for it to be two hours. Um, It takes forever to get started. I mean, he doesn't go to the Water Whiz water park for, like, the first 30 to 40 minutes. It's just him at the beach house doing nothing, just showing showing the kid who's Duncan, that's the kid's name, and just shows him being miserable. For like 40 minutes. And essentially they're, you're like, I, I, I fucking get it. And his mom's new boyfriend, Steve Carell, is an asshole. Which Carell does a fantastic job of playing an asshole. <laughs> I wanted to punch him so many times. But, um, I mean, there are positive points. Sam Rockwell, once again, is funny as all hell. Pretty much brings all the humor to the film. Him and uh, Jim Rash, who's absolutely hilarious. Uh, he wears Dahmer glasses. And he has a pedo stash. And there's this scene where he breaks down how the intricacies of storm chasing, which is quite funny. And Allison Janney nails the, you know, the alcoholic mom who's trying to be cool and hip and young, but she wears out her welcome rather quickly. I like her a lot. I think she's really funny. And like I said, it's just, it's boring, tiresome family drama shit. Exactly what, I mean, you can guess how it's going to go between Steve Carell and Duncan, and that whole thing, how it's going to play out. And they focus way too much time on that storyline with not even really doing anything. They just keep showing Duncan being miserable. And, and I mean, you, it drives the point home, but it's fucking boring as shit. I think I'm still going to check it out. Well, it's, it's your fault then. Because <laughs> I, t- I told you. I gave you a heads up. So I'm in the clear here. And then a lot I, of people are liking this movie. I, yeah, and I'm completely surprised. I don't know what the hell they saw. Because all, honestly, uh, pretty much all the good bits 
are in the trailer, except mm. for a couple, except for a couple throwaway lines. But it's, there's definitely not enough to make up for the two-hour runtime of boring family drama that you've seen a thousand times before. And then, I, then I finished the day with another disappointing film, which was the beat that my heart skipped, directed by Odiard, who you know did Rust and Bone and A Prophet. So I'm thinking this is going to be amazing, and it was extremely disappointing. It's about a real estate thug who, you know, evicts people and does a bunch of, you know, illegal activities to evict them and all the shady dealings that he does in real estate. And But at the same time, he could be a concert pianist. You never know. I mean, it's been 10 years since he played the damn piano, but pretty sure he can just, you know, jump back on that horse and just ride it into superstardom, which... It's just fucking preposterous. This is just a dumb storyline. And then I find out that it's a remake of a film called Fingers with Harvey Keitel. So two of these exist. There's two movies about thugs that could be concert pianists at the same time. And they struggle with which side do they go with. It does not sound like it. that's for me. It's fucking retarded. It's such an idiotic storyline. But just... I. For whatever reason, I'm like, okay, I'll just throw that out. Just get over it. Because, I mean, ODR does, he handles it quite well, and he tries to make it very convincing and compelling. So I try to hold on. But he gets to the end of this film, and just, I mean, it's a straight cop-out. He just drops everything. Title, inner title comes up, says two years later, and just everything comes together and ends so nicely and neatly that it's just like, are you kidding me? You built all that up and you're just going to skip ahead two years and be like, uh, it's done, but not explain anything. Hmm. It's just, it's so lazy, unbelievably lazy. It just, it really pissed me off. It was insulting really to just put all that effort in. And then you're just going to skip ahead and just be like, Oh, it's done. That's what happened. However, he did, uh, followed up with a profit. So at least he learned from his mistakes, which I still haven't seen. I need to watch that. I thought you did watch A Prophet. Nope, I didn't. What is wrong with you? I don't know. What is your problem? <laughs> I don't know. But yet you're going to go see The Way Way Back? Adam, come on. Okay, well maybe I'll watch A Prophet and then immediately afterwards <laughs> go see The Way Way Back. <laughs> you're going to hate The Way Way Back even more. <clears throat> uh, maybe. I would watch The Way Way Back first and then watch A Prophet. That way you can, you can clean it out of your system easier. And then I watched uh, The Act of Killing, which is the extreme opposite of light. I think that The Act of Killing is, and I waited to talk about this last week so that we could we could kind of do a little mini review, but The Act of Killing, I think, is probably the heaviest film I've ever seen. Yes. One, of, you want to, one of the best documents. One of the best documentaries that I will never watch again. I will never... No, I will never see this again. I had a t- I really did have a tough time finishing this. They, it, it got to a point where I was just like, I don't want to see this anymore. Like, I appreciate, you know, bringing these things to light. And I, I will gladly read about them. But I, I can't see it. You know, the way that they're doing it. How they're just, like, gleefully boasting about the way that they killed people and showing you with props and stuff it's, thousands it's just yeah it was just it's sickening it's absolutely so, sickening uh 
for people that aren't uh, aware of this this film, basically it's a documentary that follows around a uh, Indonesian gangster, we'll call him, who was basically an executioner back in the 60s who was, he would kill suspected communists. And it it follows him around and they decide to reenact and film some of his executions and it it's such a bizarre film that you can't even believe what you're watching no but yeah it's really difficult to believe it you just get you get, i mean you just got to keep telling yourself that which i'm sure you did the same thing you're just like this is real yeah this is I had real. To, yeah i couldn't believe it I, I wrote one note down here and i think that this I've been trying to write more notes when I when I watch movies just because I find that I, I forget a lot of things uh, when we talk about it. And this helps me remember certain parts that I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. And the only the only note that I wrote for this movie was Transformers shirt. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that the Transformers shirt sums up how absurd everything in this movie is. I just, I love this idea of you sitting there with your little notepad and all these things are happening, these unbelievable moments in history that have been quieted for so long. And you, through that one point in the film, the only thing you write down is Transformers shirt. Well, the yeah. other stuff I can remember. I mean, I remember the big things. I remember... It's the small things that I know that I'll forget, you know? It's plus, those things. Uh, plus, uh, what's his... Um, I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was like Adi or Aditi or whatever. Where he gets off the plane and he's wearing an Apathy t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Which just seemed staged. It's like, a, there's no way he's really wearing that. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised at that. I thought that that was a little odd. That guy... That guy was kind of weird. He was really bizarre because he actually b- brought like a voice of reason almost in a sick way to it. Like he understood like the implications and, you know, maybe how this film could be viewed and how it could be detrimental to them. And then in, if he goes way off on it when it like they start talking to him directly about it. Right. Ex- and yeah, it, like exactly. he flips out and he's like, if you want a war, I'm ready for war. And please bring me to the egg. And it's like, oh my God, what in the world is going on? And then they juxtapose it with him just sitting with that dour look on his face in the mall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just sitting there, just looking like the most unhappy person in the world. I think, uh, I mean, the whole film is incredibly hard to watch. It's hard to even comprehend everything that's going on. But I think that the climax, the the end of the oh, film, yeah. it it really is... does work the the way that they did it. I mean, I had a slight problem with it because it just it. I could be wrong, but it felt rather insulting or disrespectful to the the victims and their families. But it did. It was an unbelievable like psychological experiment the way that he used this because the, there was a perfect scene where it, uh, Anwar Congo and. A Didi or whatever his name was when they're fishing, and he's mm-hmm. and you know he's telling them that he should go to a psychiatrist. Well, number one, he doesn't understand doctors at all, <laughs> but which they don't understand really anything in Indonesia for some reason. But 
he, you know, he's telling him that he should go to a psychiatrist and he should talk to someone about these things and, that, you know, maybe it would help him and this and that. And, and where Congo doesn't want to do that because he thinks he's going to be labeled as like a crazy person or something. Which is, I'm just wondering if Oppenheimer's like standing behind his camera, just like rubbing his hands together and be like, little does he know <laughs> that he's talking. Because essentially what they do to him is it's like he's seeing a psychiatrist. The camera is his psychiatrist and he yeah. goes through everything and then he comes to that conclusion at the end of the film that you see that's so unbelievably powerful. But it was I had to mute it when it got to that because oh god I can't, I can't do that no I can't either I cannot do it either I I did the exact same thing now, when you said that one of the things that I wondered was uh, or Herman who's like Amor Congo's like sidekick he's like a paramilitary leader who's I mean really enthusiastic about doing these reenactments and he's the one that wore the Transformers shirt yeah not only that but. Why is he in drag all the time? Every scene. Every scene that they do, he's in drag. He just <laughs> pops up. And I'm wondering if, like, did they run out of things that they had? They couldn't get women to do it, so they needed him to do it? Or was he just volunteering all the time? Like, he would just walk out and be in drag, and they're like, yeah. Herman, we have plenty of suits. You can pick a suit. And he's like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. I'm going to do this one in drag. I don't know. I think that <laughs> it was so funny. Like... To me, that guy seemed like he was genuinely trying to be funny. Like a lot of the stuff that he said was funny, to me at least. Yeah, which I think that he was he was just kind of a goofy guy. Yeah, which makes it even weirder. Yeah, it's just very disturbing. the the woman the the reenactment of them burning the the village. Oh my god! This is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. To see them just you know nonchalantly talking about raping 14 year olds and just reminiscing about it is absolutely disgusting but the thing that really got me is i can't quite remember i think it was like i forget what ministry official visits the set to like get them pumped up oh yeah Mm -hmm. and he goes through this whole thing gets them all pumped up and then he quickly realizes that maybe that wasn't the best thing to do and he he quickly says that that's not how it happened and stuff yeah he's really quick to be like okay it didn't happen that way maybe we shouldn't show this but the best part is he's trying to do damage control but he makes it worse because he's like this it didn't happen this way you know we're just showing you a little bit here we can actually be worse we can be much worse than this and we have been and it's like why are you saying that just shut your mouth shut your mouth Shut your face, you're making it worse. Yeah. yeah. Which is what they did constantly throughout the movie. They yeah. They just kept making it worse. And they're obsessed with gangsters, which is very bizarre. It seems like the entire country is obsessed with gangsters. It's like that's all the government talked about. They love, they love their American gangsters. Love them. It's the only way you can be free. Gangsters. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is a this is a film that absolutely has to be seen. I mean, it just yeah, it's it, it needs to be witnessed. You you can't like you you hear about it like because I heard a lot about this movie. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Ernie saw it at the L.A. Film Festival, and he said that it was like one of the most powerful documentaries he's ever seen. And he said that there were so many walkouts uh, during the screening that people just could not handle it. And and I was thinking to myself, eh, I know what it's about. It's it's probably not going to be that bad. But the the interesting thing is, as the film it, it begins to sink in, and it, and it's such a weird mix of emotions that you get 
in this while you're watching this. Like, yeah, it's just it's <clears throat> indescribable how this movie made me feel and how it stuck with me. I mean, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, it's yeah. Unfortunately, I'm still thinking about it too. No, I want to forget it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want to. I want to forget that it ever happened. Yeah. So. Uh, this is playing in select cities now, I believe, and I think that it's going to be hitting on demand relatively soon. But I'm, uh, I think that they wanted to make sure that it was able to be nominated for an Oscar. So yeah, that's why it's I, doing its run in theaters right now. I also I have to I have to start reading some uh, interviews or something because I'm just I'm really curious to see how Oppenheimer felt during the making of this. Yeah. And like I'm thinking of the scene where he goes around and shakes down the Chinese shop owners. Like, I, I mean, how do you it's got to be difficult to wrestle with those emotions. I'm sure it was difficult, but you know, I think that by him not involving himself too much, the only time that he ever he's ever in it is when they they frequently talk to him like directly. Yeah. And sometimes that's unavoidable, but you know, yeah. So check it out. Active Killing, definitely one of the best documentaries. It well, the best documentary of the year. There's nothing like it. There's yeah. It's probably like it's easily one of like the top five greatest documentaries ever. It has to be. I mean, there's just it's just completely unbelievable. I can't even articulate how this movie made me feel. It made it made me throw up a lot in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. It made you, made you smurf a lot. <laughs> yeah, smurfed a lot, my mouth. That's a that's a foreshadow of Ryan Ryan's <laughs> episode this week. Um, all right. Well, I saw I saw a bunch of stuff this week. Holy Rollers: The True Story of Card Counting Christians was how I started the week off. Okay, that sounds interesting. It is. It is actually very interesting. This is playing on Netflix right now. And I've been meaning to check this one out for a while. I just never got around to it. And I wanted something light. So check this out. So this is not the one with Jesse Eisenberg? No, no, not that. This is a documentary. And it's, uh, I mean, it's exactly what the title says. It's a group of Christians that form a blackjack card counting team. Okay. Uh And they go out and make a shitload of money at casinos. Dude, do they do it for Jesus? Yeah, they try to rationalize it, which is really funny because they're constantly trying to rationalize what they do because some of them are like pastors and like youth group leaders and all this stuff. And they're, they're always saying like, well, you know, the casinos are evil and we're just taking taking the money from the evil casinos and stuff giving it, giving it to the kids a lot of them like most of them were pretty progressive christians though like they were all young and they all seemed to be like r- relatively normal gotcha. uh, but it, it was it was pretty interesting just to see how much money they made i mean these guys made a killing like hundreds of thousands of dollars wow just by counting cards and they would go they would like they would go to a a casino and the way that they played if they could play for an hour before getting kicked out that was like good for them so they would go they would play till they got kicked out 
and then they would just hit the next casino and just do it like that. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. Very light, like I said. Uh, then I saw a very heavy documentary called The Cheshire Murders, which is on HBO. No, what's this, what's this about? A few years ago, there was a, a home invasion. I think it, it was in 2007. Uh, in a small town in Connecticut, there was a home invasion. Oh, where, is, the, is this the is this the absolutely terrible one where the um the, like the big one where they forced them to you know go to the bank? Yes. Oh God. Yeah, I didn't know what you mean meant by terrible, but oh God. Yeah, they they it was really bad. They lit the children on fire. They raped the children. Oh uh, God, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So basically, this is a documentary about that. I actually didn't like the documentary too much. I mean, the story was really powerful and heartbreaking, <laughs> but the the film itself was pretty lackluster. It felt like one of those uh, like court TV, mm. you know, documentaries that they show. Gotcha. So I wasn't too too impressed by it, but just a crazy story. I mean, these guys did all these horrible things. They got the death penalty, but the death penalty was then abolished in Connecticut. So they're probably not going to be put to death now. And it raised a lot of debate on the whole death penalty thing, which, you know, we've seen before. Yeah. Uh, Then I saw a movie called I Declare War. I have a review for this up on the site. This is a draft house film that's uh, on demand right now. And it's, it's basically like Lord of the Flies meets Stand By Me. And it, it's kind of, it, it's about a group of friends that play this big game of capture the flag in the woods. But the way that they film the movie, it's through their imagination. So even though they're really only like carrying sticks and toys, what you see is all real guns. Yes. And like and like actual grenades and things yes. like that. And the way that they did that was really interesting because sometimes they'll go back to reality. Like sometimes as the kids are playing this game, something will happen that'll snap them back into reality. And when they get snapped back into reality, so do we. Yeah. And then like there's that. there's there's one part where they have a newcomer to the group, a new kid. And he's having a really difficult time getting into it and really putting himself in the fantasy. And throughout the whole movie, every time the the camera focuses on him, his his gun is always a toy, even though everyone else's is like an actual gun. Yeah. But then at one point in the film, he he then gets into it and all of a sudden he looks down and he's holding like a big sniper rifle. And he looks up and there's like a giant like stationary gun on their base. And I really had fun with this movie. I thought it was it was really interesting and like it's it. different. It sounds fun. Yeah, the, the acting is pretty piss poor. Hmm. I saw some people here some you reviews. There you go again. Tearing down kids. I know, I know. You just, it's so you bad. Did not like kids. And I saw I saw some reviews after I wrote my review that said that we're like commending the performances of the kids. And I was like, are you kidding me? These kids were horrible. Well, I think, (laughs) I think that's because those people, you know, want to be positive towards kids. Like no one wants to come out and say the kids sucked. 
Besides some of the, Adam Patterson. Some of the kids were worse than others, and in my review, I did not single out any one child. <laughs> no, you just listed them and rated them. <laughs> uh, it's still it's still worth seeing, though. I will say that it. I really had fun with it. Um, there there are a lot of small things that happen in the movie that just these like little nuanced things, the the conversations they have, and the whole movie is the war. It starts right when they start the game and it ends when the game ends. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. it's it takes place over one day in the woods. They just get into it. Yeah, and that's it. So highly recommend checking that out. Saw a film called Scenic Scenic Route. Oh you got a chance to get this one. Yeah. This is on demand and I was a little I was a little so so on this one. It's it's definitely bloated. It could have. They could have. Um, they could have made this a little bit shorter. It, it gets. It wears out its welcome, as you would say. Yeah. Uh, how based, long is it? Are they are they trying to do like a two hour thing here? I don't know how long it is actually. It just. I don't know. Feels feels way too long. It's not even an hour and a half. <laughs> oh man, that's bad. That's bad when it's actually a short film, but you yeah. feel that it's overly long it felt really long i mean basically it's about two friends that get stranded in the desert and it's josh dumel and dan fogler and i'll tell you amazing performances by both of them i was so impressed by their performances Uh, i didn't like the end either i'll say that Mm. but we are going to have a review up for that shortly i saw the night porter which is from 1974. This is I, actually I said, yeah. I was I was a little surprised that you watched the Night Porter. Yeah, this is a uh, Criterion release. I picked this for my Grindhouse Weekly feature. In hindsight, it's not. I don't really. I wouldn't consider this an exploitation film. It kind of blurs the lines between uh, art house and exploitation. But it, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was. It was so ridiculous. the The actions of the characters in this were it was so unbelievable. And really, the only reason this movie gets talked about at all is for one scene when Charlotte Rampling does a burlesque show. She like dances topless for a bunch of Nazis mm-hmm. for like two minutes, and that's why this movie gets it's... talked about. <laughs> Oh my god, power of breast. And it's it's an amazing scene, but it, that scene does not fit with the rest of the movie. Like this this the dancing scene is this like really weird kind of surreal, creepy thing. Mm-hmm. Very artistic in the way that it was shot. Like all the Nazis are wearing these like really creepy masks and sitting around the room in weird positions and stuff, and it was great. But the rest of the film is this kind of boring, like, weird love story between Charlotte Rampling and uh, a former Nazi who's holding her captive, and none of that stuff worked. Gotcha. Charlotte Rampling's on this this season of Dexter, by the way. Oh, that show is still going. Unfortunately. I know. And you know what the problem is? I keep watching it. Oh, me too. I can't this, get I can't get out of it. Well, this is the last season, so thank God. Yeah. Did they, they talk about destroying a show? 
Yeah, I know. They killed it. They ran it into the ground. You haven't even seen. You haven't seen the new season, have you? No, I just started watching the what seventh seventh season. I don't know the one with. Uh, oh, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, then I saw Oblivion, which is uh, I finally got around to checking this one out. This is the Tom Cruise one that came out earlier this year. I, I hate that that that's what we have to do now. There's so many films that come out in a year that are so similar that you have to be like, it's the Tom Cruise one. <laughs> yeah. Is it the Matt Damon one? No, it's the Tom Cruise one. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the movie, but there were a few things of note. First of all, the visuals. It looked really, really good. Uh, the plot of the movie itself is basically kind of an amalgamation of five different sci- sci-fi movies. So... It's not very original, but the the effects work and all like the like the the buildings and the the ships and all that stuff looked really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really impressed by that. Uh, the other thing is like the the soundtrack was a lot of people were talking about the soundtrack because M eighty three did it, mm-hmm. but they only did part of it, and it was like really obvious whenever an M eighty three song would come on. And a, and a lot of times it did not fit at all. There'd be like this M83 song that would come on and you're just like, why is this playing during this time? It doesn't even make sense. So, someone just had to, someone really likes M83 and they wanted it to be in the film. Yeah. So a, a little side note, that was one of the most disappointing concerts I've ever seen. Yeah. I remember you telling me that. M83. It's ha- this has the same cinematographer as Life of Pi, Claudia Miranda. So, yeah, so, so I feel that's why it looks so nice. Yeah, it does. It does look really nice, but I can't. I still can't really recommend it. Um, you know, very light recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Hell Baby, which oh, is that's unfortunate. The this is the new. Well, here's the thing. I'm a big fan of Robert Ben Garrett and Thomas Lennon. I like Reno 911 quite a lot. I even remember watching Viva Variety. And and enjoying the hell out of that. I don't, actually, I don't I don't know if they were involved any more than just being in it. I think maybe David Wayne had more involvement with Viva Variety. Either way, Hell Baby is not funny, and it's really unfortunate. That's that sucks. There's a lot of funny people in it. I mean, Rob Corddry, uh, Keegan Michael Key's in it. I like him. Rob uh, Rob Hubel. Hubel, of course, and Paul Shear. Michael Ian Black. Everything, yeah. Michael Ian Black's in it for a very short time. And I did notice there's a scene where there's a phone call and it's David Wayne's voice. So he does a little cameo phone call thing. Gets a little work in there, huh? It's it's garbage. It's not funny at all. Like, I didn't laugh at all. There, There was one scene. There was one scene that made me laugh. And it was uh, involving the, I always forget his name, and I can't pronounce it, too. So, it's, <laughs> he's uh, he's in a lot more stuff recently. He's the, uh, he's Indian. Okay, Kumail. Yeah, he's really funny. And he's in a lot of Portlandia episodes and stuff. There's a scene with him in it, and he plays the uh, cable internet installer and he gets really high and tries to drive his uh, like work van 
and it's really really funny but he's all, he's also in uh you might know him from franklin bash no, no i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't know him from that he is in kings of summer too he's really funny in kings of summer you tell me you don't watch franklin and bash no i don't think i do jeez your taste is terrible. I did see a tweet from Tim Heidecker that said, where's the Franklin and Bash Comic-Con panel? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and then finally, finally, I saw Frankenstein's Army. This is this came out on, on demand this weekend. Big surprise. This was a kind of a week of surprises for me. Sure. This was... I mean, it's a, it's a found footage horror movie okay. that takes no, place... I'm out. Takes, <laughs> just just listen to this. It takes place in World War Two, and it's a found footage horror movie, and it's basically Wolfenstein. Okay. Made into a to film. Uh, Victor Frankenstein is recruited by the Nazis to create new weapons of war, and he comes up with tons, dozens of these insane looking creatures and this team of russian soldiers has to go investigate the disappearance of a a bunch of their comrades and they stumble onto frankenstein's lab and are subsequently attacked by these creatures doesn't it doesn't sound great but i'll tell you it's like it's such a fun ride, and the design of the creatures is so good and crazy looking, and it's all done practically, no CG. Good. Um, the, I hate the CGI blood. The set designs in this looked incredible. Like, I was <clears throat> really blown away with how this movie looked. Very detailed, like, tons of stuff on screen at once, and it's really... F- it's really fast and visceral and it's, it's almost like you're going through a haunted house where you're going down a hallway and you're, you're looking out of the point of view of the, the cameraman and there's like shit jumping out at you and like you're running and it's, it's very similar to a video game. We're going to like a Halloween horror nights ride and it's just, it's just fun. It, the Mm. plot is pretty weak, but there's, there's enough here to easily make it uh, a recommended watch. Quick question, because you're saying that it takes place during World War II. How's the look of it um, camera work-wise? Since since you're doing a found footage that's taking place in World War II. That was my first, like, as soon as as I started watching this and I was like, oh, it's it's found footage, but how can that even be? (laughs) When they clearly didn't have, like, color cameras back then... Um, they, they actually do address it in the movie. They explain that this is a new experimental handheld camera. Uh, it it looks like one of the old, old style cameras, like an old eight, eight millimeter camera. Okay. And that probably adds to the creepiness. And it has a, a microphone attached to it so that they're able to get the audio. But one of the interesting things about the camera is... There was no like digital zooming or anything like that back then. So what they had to do was use separate lenses to change the distance of the zoom. Mm-hmm. So throughout the film, instead of having like actual like, you know, quick, quick zooming, it would be like 
the lens would change almost like when you go to the eye doctor and they, mm-hmm. you know, three or four <laughs> and they, and they switch the lens. That was really cool because sometimes you thought that the action was far away and then they would switch the lens and you're like, Oh shit, it's right in your face yeah. or vice versa. Gotcha. That, that whole mechanic was really cool. And I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that before in a movie gotcha. where they did it that way. But yeah, definitely recommend that. Uh, that's all I watched. So let's go ahead and jump into our review of The Wolverine. Ernie, thank you so much for being back on the show. No How problem. are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, let's see here. This is directed by James Mangold. It stars Hugh Jackman and a bunch of Japanese names that I can't even begin to try to pronounce. Rila yeah. Fu- Fukushima. <laughs> Hiroyuki Sanada, and then a crazy Russian name that I can't even begin to pronounce. Svetlana. She, uh, she Kuch- must be the woman. Kochinkova. Kochinkova. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, Famke Jensen's also in this. I have my review up on the site, so we'll start with you, Ernie. What did you think of the Wolverine? Certainly better than Origins, and certainly better than Last Stand. Uh, that's usually kind of easy <laughs> for the X Men mm-hmm. series. But I, I liked it. I was like, I, I wasn't blown away by it, but I, it was very different for an X Men movie because um, talking with friends and they're saying, it's like, yeah, there wasn't enough action or anything, but it was a different type of action. So I guess they were expecting the hyperkinetic action, like in an X2 or something. But it's almost like the action was like on a drive level mm-hmm. where it's like there is action sequences, but, but not the hyperkinetic action you would expect from that kind of a movie. But there was. It was good for me. It was good, and um, and I very look forward to the next one. <laughs> I actually like this quite a bit. Um, I guess we should read the synopsis here. Summoned to Japan by an old acquaintance, Wolverine becomes embroiled in a conflict that forces him to confront his own demons. Uh, now, that aspect of it, him confronting his own demons, was actually what I liked the most about this. It felt like this movie felt like more of a character piece on Wolverine than any of the other movie iterations of Wolverine. Oh, yeah, easily. Uh, I like that in this film he was he was broken both physically and emotionally, mm-hmm. psych- psychologically. Yeah. And the fact that it dealt with that a lot, and it almost seemed to focus on that more than the action. Like you said, right. there's not this ridiculous over-the-top, action now it does the last act does get in to that kind of territory yeah yeah it does kind of become comic booky but and that was actually the weak point for me was that that final act Mm -hmm. but i thought that the way that they the tone and the way that they shot it and just the structure of it and stuff was it was so unconventional for an x-men movie right i thought that it was just really refreshing and i liked the movie because of that I thought that uh, it was a lot more violent and dark than what we've seen previously. I was yep. very surprised that this got a PG-13 rating or what, <laughs> what they got away with. Because, I mean... Well, well, mainly because they didn't show the slice and dicing. <laughs> so I guess that's why. Well, the, I think... He slices and dices a lot of people. <laughs> he kills so many people in this movie. And I think it's because there's not a lot of blood... There's more blood than I expected. Um, 
particularly, one of the things that I noticed was that uh, a lot of times when they show his claws, there's blood on his claws. And I've never seen that in a movie before. And I thought that was interesting. And I thought that there were a lot of details in this that they never really explored previously. Just certain yeah. certain kind of nuanced things with his powers and stuff. Um, I think mm-hmm. we can probably get into spoilers in a, in a bit and get into that in more detail. But, you know, the whole plot, what you learn from the trailer is that he loses or his powers are inhibited. Right. So he can get injured. He can get shot. Like, when he gets shot, he gets hurt. And I think that there's there's some interesting things they they do with that because it's like the filmmakers were keeping in mind that he still has the adamantium skeleton mm-hmm. you know so there's there's certain things that they do with that that i liked a lot i did have issues with the movie though i thought that the it was too long first of all i don't know why there's this prerequisite with summer blockbusters that they have to be over two hours long mm-hmm. and i felt like there could have been uh some fat trimmed from this movie I didn't mind it too much. I mean, when I you look at Man of Steel at two and a half hours, that was like ponderous. <laughs> so, well, that, or, Lone yeah. Ra- or Lone Ranger, that was two and a half hours long. You're like, oh. Yeah, I didn't see Lone Ranger. I did feel like Man of Steel was too long. And I just feel like that they could have... First of all, I think that the Famke Jensen stuff could have been taken out of this completely. They They keep hammering in the fact that, you know, he's kind of plagued by he's he's haunted by his past and and we Mm -hmm. get that like we don't need to keep seeing it over and over again and well it kind of uh it kind of makes it worked for me only because you knew how much you loved gene i mean you got that from the first x-men yeah uh, but i mean maybe once at the beginning and then that's it like i just i didn't think that it was necessary to keep revisiting Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and have her like talk to him and maybe that was you know something due to her her um her mutant powers or or psycho connection with him right. or something oh, yeah i guess there's other things you can we can mention when we get to the spoiler section so yeah i also didn't like the villains i didn't like viper and i didn't like silver samurai at all like yeah they, they were they were definitely both underwhelming i i, I was, I was I a bit was, confused by the whole viper storyline <laughs> well first of all i don't know if you've noticed this maybe it was just my screening because i've talked about this with a couple other people it seemed like her voice was dubbed, and yeah, yeah, it did seem that way. That really bothered me because it never. Anytime she spoke a line, it didn't seem to fit. It sounded like it was from a a recording studio or something. And I think, I mean, maybe it's because she has like a super thick Russian accent or something, mm-hmm. and maybe they decided to, you know, try to make it easier for the masses to understand what she was saying. I don't know. Right. That's just a, right. a guess, but I didn't like that. I didn't like any of the CG involving the, those two characters. I thought it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like her, her, uh, poison tongue and all that yeah. stuff. And I thought that the silver samurai animation looked pretty clunky and, and not like in a good way. Like he's a robot, but mm-hmm. I just didn't, I didn't like that too much, but those things aside, there was enough substance here to to really just enjoy it. I, I liked all the action scenes. And the thing that I think I liked the most about it is because it, they were more grounded than right. what we've seen previously. I mean, the, 
I watched, I rewatched X Men Origins Wolverine for uh, Ryan watches a movie last week. Yeah, and it is ridiculous. I mean, they're flying through the air. There's so much wire work and ridiculous explosions, and his claws looked like shit in that movie. They looked like cartoon animation. Hmm. It was so bad. But then I haven't, I haven't seen it since it came out. I think so. <laughs> yeah, and I think that. In this one, they f- they fixed a lot of those issues, and the fact that he wasn't fighting s- a million different mutants, and there weren't yeah there weren't like mutants put into this movie just to fit in more X Men cameos, and I appreciate that. Like this is a movie about Wolverine. The focus is Wolverine. They don't throw in yeah. Gambit and all these other characters, mm-hmm. and that I was one thing that I really liked, and I just thought all the all the fight scenes, all the f- fight choreography looked really good. The camera was a little shaky at times, but right. didn't bother me too much. And I think that maybe a lot of this is could be uh, credited to to James Mangold, who's actually a decent director. I mean, he did uh, Three Ten to Yuma and Walk mm. the Line and uh, Copland and Copland, yeah. So. I think getting him on board with this was probably a good choice. I also did read that they're coming out. The Blu-ray is going to be unrated and it's going to include hmm. a lot more violence. So well, that'd be cool to see. <laughs> I always like more violence. Cause if you see the comic book, there's like definitely he's, he's really violent. I mean, when you see the cuts, you see the blood flow. <laughs> oh yeah. But and I, I mean, you can't show that in a PG 13 movie. Yeah. They still showed more than I thought they would in this. I mean, even the even the scene at the beginning when the people are committing suicide, I was just like, "Whoa!" Yes, yeah. I mean, outside of outside of Punisher and Blade, I think I'm sure I'm probably wrong, but this is probably like one of the first times you see a Marvel character or any part comic book character just flat out kill someone <laughs> with I'm trying, remorse. Yeah. I'm just, trying to just think. go right there. Yep, yep, you're my way. You're dead. Get out of the way. It's like. I mean, he he claws people through the face in the yes. Yeah. I mean, there's people he just like gets out of his way, but then there's when there's like the uh, the main the major enemies. He's like face to face when he takes them out. It's like like personal. So it's yeah, it's like uh, like woo. I I like the character of Yukio as well, uh, Rila Fukushima. I thought mm-hmm. that she was, I thought that she was really cool. Probably uh, would have liked to see a little bit more of of her fighting. But mm-hmm. I thought that that was that was really good. I think we can probably jump into spoilers because there are a number of things I want to talk about. Uh, do you want to say anything else non-spoiler related? Um, nothing comes to mind that you haven't already seen in the trailer. So. All right, so we'll have the time code in the show notes. So if you haven't seen the Wolverine yet, you can skip over this part. Let's talk about some spoilers for the Wolverine. the The big thing. Like I said before, the major problem I had, one of the major problems was the the entire last act, I thought was, it, it got kind of silly. Like that uh-huh. whole end fight scene between Viper and Silver Samurai and Yukio, mm. like that, that whole thing, it was a little bit too much. It, di- it didn't really fit with the rest of the film to me. Yeah, the, uh, I don't remember what, his character's name was, but 
it is the one who is protecting what's the girl's name oh uh the um, mariko the mariko, yeah the one who was protecting mariko mm -hmm. who was her ex-boyfriend or shinken is that it was shinken yes yeah his um his change of heart during the last act i just didn't buy it was like okay you get that he's like technically one of the bad guys and then all of a sudden he turns on the silver samurai like like where did that come from <laughs> it's like no your grandfather's doing what needs to be done and then it's like no this is madness <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, what? I was like, what happened there? Now, did you read the 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 series that this is based on? No, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. So I don't. I can't really attest to how closely this sticks to that story arc. I think that was the one that Frank Miller was involved with. Uh, sometime I think it was like in the late '80s it came out or something. But so I, I don't know how closely this sticks with that, but. There were several things that I liked. I did like the fact that he got his claws chopped off by the Silver yeah. Samurai yeah. and that they grew back as the Bone Claws. Because mm -hmm. while I was watching it, and when it when it first happened with just one hand, I thought to myself, oh man, in the comic books, his Bone Claws would grow back. Yeah. But then I was thinking, oh, they, they're probably not going to do that for the movie. And they did it. And I was like, oh, wow. that's." Mm -hmm. I was pretty impressed with that. The other thing that I was impressed with was the self-surgery scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the fact that they addressed the fact that he had to go in underneath his stomach. Mm -hmm. You know, he couldn't just crack open his ribs and yeah, get to, to it. It's the adamantium. Yeah. Uh, there, were, there were a couple other scenes like that where I just felt like they really did their homework when it came to Wolverine and who mm -hmm. he is and how he thinks. I liked yeah. I, I liked all that stuff. I did like how they tied in that timeline wise that this takes place after Last Stand because you know how sometimes like they like okay let's just forget the last one. Yeah, that that uh, that, that was one. Too, so. That was one thing I was a little the the whole timeline in mm. this X Men movie universe seems kind of out of whack to me, but mm -hmm. I don't but uh, tie in with Last Stand. I mean, they say that he killed Gene and all that, but they really. And I expect this to be clearly explained in uh, Days of Future's Past is how the hell Xavier is there. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I assume you saw the uh, post-credit sequence. Yeah, and I thought it was fantastic. That was like one of the best post-credit stingers I've seen in a while. And um, yeah, how they set that up. I'm like, and then it's like, whoa. And I was like, how's that possible? And then I think it was like, yeah, wait a minute. I was like telling a friend, I was like, whoa. I was like, Xavier freaking disintegrated in the last one. <laughs> And I, transferred his mind to another body. But I'm like, how is he back in Charles Xavier's body? They did so. kind of address it when Wolverine was like, I don't know exactly what he said, but he said something. Oh, yeah, he you said know, What are you doing I'm, here? Yeah. How, how are you here? I told you I'm not the only one that has powers. Yeah. But, but uh, that was understood that he has powers, but the power to regenerate himself, that's, that's something new. So I don't know. But I guess they'll have to explain. I'm sure it must be a tie-in to Days of Future's Past. They're uh, also they're also gonna have to explain how he gets his metal claws back because you know that they're not gonna mm -hmm. leave him with the bone claws. Right, right. And there, I yeah. I think that Last Stand really kind of fucked everything up for the movie thing, and now they're gonna have to try to explain mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. Because mm -hmm. I mean, how can you kill off that many characters? Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. 
I mean, I remember Magneto, They at the end of Last Stand, they alluded that he was getting his powers back when he was playing chess right. and moved that piece just a bit. Yeah. And uh, so you can get that. But the whole Xavier thing is going to take a lot of explaining. Unless, of course, it turns out that this is a totally separate story arc from what La- uh, Days of Future Past is going to be. <laughs> which would be confusing. It's like, oh, which this is, is a, really, yeah, the, which, the other Wolverine. Yeah, which is really confusing because elements of Last Stand are in this. And I don't know. We'll we'll see what they do. I mean, I'm I'm excited for Days Future Past. I think it. I was I was surprised there wasn't a trailer for it. On I was expecting a trailer on here, but because the footage they showed at Comic Con looked like it was going to be the trailer, or at least part of the trailer. And I have to say the the footage that they showed at Comic Con was awesome. So I can't wait to see that one. What but, did uh, they what, what did they show? What was the footage? Um, basically, it's kind of sets up the story that uh, something something's gone wrong and and it takes it's in the future like wolverine's got gray hair uh, on and then uh look he's looking old and xavier says something went wrong we got to send you back and uh he has to go back to the time of uh first class so wolverine is the connection between the 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 future x-men and the first class x-men and then he's stuff's going on and involving all both cast which is like amazing, and then uh, there's a lot of stuff. I'm sure the footage will end up online eventually, but it ends with um, Xavier facing Xavier, McAvoy facing Stewart, and uh, there's like before that he's like saying uh, McAvoy's like screaming, "I don't want to have anything to do with your future," and then it ends with him staring and just like, "I need you to hope again." <laughs> so it's like something happened that totally turned Xavier into a coward. <laughs> so that just totally screwed up time so i don't know what's going on but i think that's what they alluded to at the end of uh wolverine where they're saying they created they've created a weapon that could destroy all all of us <laughs> so if so if the movie starts and it's in the future it's in the future like way past the events of x-men one two and three yeah if, this if definitely wolverine's takes old. Place. yeah wolverine's old i mean he's got gray hair in his, in well, his does it go back walk. to like after the Wolverine? Then I don't know because if like Rogue and Storm, if they're in it, mm-hmm. are they going to look old? I doubt that they'll do that. Yeah, um, in the future, they they only show they only show Magneto, Xavier, and Wolverine. So, but you I mean, it's the- probably to be assumed that Bishop will be in the future part of it. Yeah, you do see you do see Bishop, and he is in the future part. So. Hmm. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see how they try to tie it all together. Yeah, because it's almost like this is their their attempt at an Avengers like story arc. So I was half excited when I was when they were plugging the the uh, post credit scene. I'm like, hmm, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a Fantastic Four cameo or something. <laughs> mm. So they're trying to like, tie them all, tie the Mar the the Fox Marvel universe together. I'd be cool with that, I guess. Uh, well, I guess it depends on how the new Fantastic Four reboot's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting back to the Wolverine, again, I did not like the Viper character at all. <laughs> Just, I yeah. thought that, although I will say, when they killed her, uh, that was pretty surprisingly graphic. Like, when they hung her, and before mm-hmm. that, when they dropped her off the uh, the the catwalk or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. I was really surprised that they showed that and 
Uh, what did what did you think of just the the end as far as the guy being Silver Samurai and yeah, that um, part of me I, I might have put that connection together early on in the movie when he was uh, talking to Logan on, yeah. on his uh, deathbed. I was like, hmm, but I never really took it seriously. But when the reveal when when it was revealed, I'm like, hmm, that's kind of silly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling it was going to go that way. Uh, there, there were a lot of things that I predicted in this movie, but again, mm. I still really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really fun, and I thought it was a really good direction to be yeah. to be putting putting the movie in. So it's like totally on the level of Iron Man three, where it's it's dark and the hero is not perfect. So a very serious movie too. Not a lot of not a lot of quips in this. There were a few. Well, there's that, uh, what was it, um, probably misquoting, but, uh, go fuck yourself, pretty boy, that's what it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There was, yeah. there was the one F-bomb, which I liked. Mm. Thought that was, that was funny. There was a couple other things, the, the bath scene, when they were, <laughs> when they were giving oh, yeah. the bath. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Uh, there was, there was a couple other things. I, I liked, I like any movies that take place in Japan, so... Mm-hmm. Right there, I was like already liking the setting, and I liked that they they spent time in Tokyo. Then they spent time like out in the more rural areas, and I just thought that all the like the the, the compound or the whatever that was, I thought mm-hmm. that, that looked amazing. That's the the house, not the house at the end or yeah. the in the beginning. The one in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. 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 I thought that that looked fantastic i want to live there wherever that is <laughs> i think it was nagasaki is that is that where it was though was it Nagasaki? because they went to nagasaki yeah maybe it wasn't i, I think don't, that was, I don't in, think that was it... in the city yeah i think that was in the city so yeah i, I can't remember which one yeah so otherwise it wouldn't got to the bully train any other spoilers before we get out of this no not really i think we covered the major spoilers okay i'm trying to think of a what did you think of the whole reason for his powers being inhibited like the little nano machine spider thing i didn't mind it too much it was just a a question of how they got it in there (laughs) yeah because it's like yeah she it was a dream then she's kissing him and then all of a sudden he starts losing his powers like how what did she like put that thing in her mouth and then (laughs) yeah i guess i guess she put it in her mouth (laughs) because they never really fully Explain that. Thing. I didn't really understand the whole skin ripping off thing either. Like I didn't I think that. I think she was detoxifying. I guess it's like when you go into a, get a, a facial and it pulls all the <laughs> toxins out of your skin and then you rip it off. It's like a like that night skin thingy you put on or whatever. She was horrible. I just <laughs> I hated that character. I was so glad that she wasn't in it that much. Mm. I could have just watched two hours of. Wolverine fighting ninjas in Yakuza. Yeah, yeah, that would have been fine. I, I like, really liked the scene when they kept shooting him with the arrows too. I thought that was really cool looking. And he kept going. I was I was hoping for like uh, him to get his rage on, and he just rips them all. Yeah, no, I thought I don't know why he didn't do that. Why he didn't just cut them off? But whatever. All right, let's uh, let's get out of this spoiler section. Final thoughts on the Wolverine? I would give it. A, I think you give it a seven. I'd give it about a six and a half. Um, it is flawed, but I did like what they did. 
Um, I mean, my comparison would be, I know Star Trek V, The Final Frontier is like reviled by almost everybody, but I actually kind of liked it purely for the character moments. Mm -hmm. It's like, I could totally forget all the other stuff, but I just loved all the character stuff. And there's a lot of that in Wolverine, but it is definitely far better than Origins and uh, definitely probably the best Wolverine performance Jackman's put in so far, because it's probably the best written. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the reason I gave it a seven, despite having a lot of issues with it that we that we talked about, I just I was so surprised and pleased with what they did here. I feel like that they took some risks that they haven't done before. Uh, not just the violence and the kind of visceral feel of it, but the fact that they explored the character so much and. They didn't have the set pieces be, like, very comic book-like. Mm -hmm. Just all of that, I just, I found really refreshing, and I just liked that enough to bump my score up. Normally, I would probably give it a six or a six and a half, but mm -hmm. I was just so pleased with the end result, because I thought that this was going to be a nightmare. I really did. I thought that the trailers looked horrible. Uh, they they released. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. That I thought the trailer was like it was cool, but then all the footage they showed at Comic Con, it was like I was like, yeah, this actually looks pretty good. Yeah, and they they released a clip of that bullet train fight sequence uh, prior to the film's release, and when I saw that, I was like, ugh, that looks horrible. Like mm -hmm. it looks so glossy and just ridiculous, but in execution, it actually worked and i liked that scene quite a bit yeah so there you have it the wolverine i would i would say definitely go see it did you see this in 3d i did not uh 2d and fine i don't know how well i saw some of the footage in 3d at comic-con but i'm like hmm, it's all right i heard that the 3d is not very good so i didn't see it in 3d either i just saw it in 2d so i'd probably recommend just seeing it in 2d Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like there was a lot i think that that was just a cash grab to yeah, con to convert yeah. it probably more about depth than anything and then instead of adding actual like uh claws in your face or anything like that yeah yeah and i was i was glad that they didn't do anything like that like overt you know mm -hmm. 3d tricks all right well i think that that wraps that up go see the wolverine in theaters now thank you so much ernie you're welcome Let's talk about some predictions. Last week, we, we only predicted the Wolverine. Uh, I said 56. You said 52. Actual 68 on the Wolverine. Wow. Also, uh, the to-do list came out that ended up with a 56. Blue Jasmine, the Woody Allen film, ended up with an 85. That's, got me, that's got me excited. Yeah, yeah. I've been hearing really, really good things about like that. It. I so like it. Very, very excited to see that. Frankenstein's Army ended up with a 64, and uh, Fruitvale Station I wanted to mention because I guess that hit wide release this this Friday, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't realize that 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 has a 93. Yes, yeah, I didn't. So, I was sort of surprised that it was a wide release. Yeah, I was playing very surprised. I, I guess they're they're capitalizing on it. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, gonna be checking that out today. I, like I also want to so. point out you didn't mention Stranded. The Christian Slater flick that currently has a zero percent. Uh no, I didn't notice that. It has a zero percent. Oh, well, there you go. Nice gone, Christian. 
Uh, it's directed by Roger Christian. So there's hmm. Double Christian. Double Christian. Next week we got the Smurfs too. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say uh, 15. Smurfs too. God, how do you do this? How do you try and pick a number for this Drek? I don't know. Um, what do you say, 15? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go 10. And then we have two guns, which is the Mark Wahlberg, Denzel Washington flick. Pretty generic looking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it seems like uh, Wahlberg and Washington are doing a lot of this generic what do you stuff. Think, what do you think on two guns? Two guns. I'm going to go... I got 42. <laughs> that should be how you have to say it. <laughs> two guns. <laughs> That's how I look at it. What What is... Uh, what does Denzel Washington play? Is he some sort of agent? Yes, yeah, he is. Yeah, of course he, he is. Who the, <laughs> who the fuck would have guessed that? I'm going to say 46 on two guns. Uh, we also have the Top Cat movie coming out. The Top Cat movie? I don't know if that's getting any kind of wide release, or maybe it's VOD. I don't know. Top Cat. Top Cat? Yeah, Hanna-Barbera. Old, old Hanna-Barbera. There is... Wait. Wait. Wait a second. <laughs> Yeah, Top Cat. The one from like 2011? I don't know. All I know is that there's a movie called Top Cat the Movie, and it's coming out this Friday. Why Why did they make a Top Cat movie? I have no idea. I'm looking at um, the other thing. Is I'm looking at the poster here, and this is, you know this is bad, because the first line at the top says, featuring the featuring voices of Rob Schneider as Strickland. <laughs> Just but like they're trying to bring you in with the idea of listening to Rob Schneider. Who's not even like one of the main. No, he just plays a small character. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Top Cat. Top uh, we also have The Spectacular Now, Cockneys vs. Zombies, Europa Report, Drift, which is a surfing movie. wonder what that's what kind of know. themes that has. Uh, our children, which I think you're going to be covering. Indeed, right. I I got to try my best because I will not be around next weekend. Okay, and then also the machine which makes everything disappear. There you go. DVD and Blu-ray releases, not a whole lot to mention. This is for Tuesday, July thirtieth. Assault on Wall Street, which is the Uwe Boll film. Oh yeah, yeah, pretty pretty generic. Uh, BlackRock, which is also generic. Yeah, I heard that that's quite awful. It's not good. Uh, and G.I. Joe Retaliation, which is also pretty horrible. What? What is going on? Nothing but shit this week? Yeah, there is a big Criterion release. Maybe you can talk about that. Yeah, we do have, uh, we have The Devil's Backbone, Del Toro from 2001. Which, Which has a amazing cover it does have a fantastic cover i'm enjoying that i'm trying to see who do who did that i don't know i, I can't find it but it is awesome yeah it's so, really good you have that you have that any anything else so, no devil's backbone is the only thing mm. so i would definitely check that one out and all, all right. the other stuff just pass over it except top cat go see top cat <laughs> go see top cat <laughs> Are we gonna are we gonna have Ryan watch Top Cat at some point? Maybe. It's you do. Why not? Yeah, dude, he's why not? Alright, for all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. 
Send us an email at feedbackfilmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Born free, as free as the wind blows, as free as the grass grows, born free to follow your heart. The new Percy Jackson film? Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for this? I might have. I think I did. Do yourself a favor. Watch that. Um, If you're still alive, if you didn't kill yourself afterwards, you got to let me know what the hell you think.